0: Welcome to the No Film School podcast. I'm Liz Nord, editor-in-chief of No Film School, and this week I'm joined by Dan Nuxall, programming director of Rooftop Films, a screening series that showcases indie films in unique outdoor locations, and Christina Kachopo, a New York programmer for the Alamo Drafthouse, an incredible independent theater chain started in Austin, Texas. We talk about what it takes to create successful film screenings in the world's coolest borough and how filmmakers can get our work out to appreciative audiences. Mm -hmm. to start by having you guys introduce yourselves and sort of talk about the paths to getting a couple of the coolest jobs I've ever
1: heard of. Christina, you wanna start? Sure. Um, So actually, very strangely, I know the programming isn't a job that people really know exists until you kind of end up doing it, but when I was in college, I went to University of Florida studying film, and we had an on-campus cinema and uh, when I started school, it was playing Amazing Things. That's where I saw Pink Flamingos and Red Desert. And then all of a sudden it was playing, like, The Mummy on Second Run. And so I was like, what, what is this? So I uh, realized there was a, a st- it was student run. So I joined and ended up becoming the, the co-director for my senior year and basically programmed that cinema. And it was like, oh, this is, this is a thing that you do. Um, when I, then I moved to New York, and I was kind of thinking of getting into – distribution or maybe some production. And I joined up uh, with uh, Ocularis, who were doing screenings at the old Galapagos space in Williamsburg at the time. This is like the early 2000s. And, you know, they were just programming amazing stuff. So I I started to volunteer with them. And, you know, and I was doing some production stuff on the side and like hated that. (laughs) So it was kind of I just segued into kind of exploring any any programming I could do. And for a a long time, that was kind of volunteer based. And then eventually it started to lead to jobs. Um, I lived in Boston for a little while and did some screenings there. And then, you know, I came back to New York and kind of just got lucky and landed this job with, uh, you know, 92, I was opening this new space in Tribeca and we're seeking sort of programmers for a variety of different kind of, you know, cultural events and had a screening room. And so I got to start that and basically kind of built that program. And like over the course of five years, it just got a reputation and, and, um, And so that sort of made a name for me. Uh, And so I was. What kind of reputation was that? um, I think at the time, you know, things have really changed a lot in the scene of of New York. Uh, But at the time, you know, there was still this idea that a lot of repertory cinemas were kind of doing just a lot of classics and not ever getting past like 1980. And for me, I felt like there were a lot of movies that I cared about when I was younger or that I was more curious about or that were worth exploring that a younger audience was also interested in. And so I started doing those things and collaborating with people that were interested in those things. And I think that's why it sort of like struck a chord because there was a huge young population of people that wanted to see these things. Uh, so also at the time, I mean, I was always very inspired by Alamo Drafthouse. Uh, I kind of consider my time at 92Y like a, a tryout. For, I was always mm-hmm. kind of like, and one day I knew they were coming here. And, I, you know, I was friendly with some of the programmers in Austin. So when the time came for the Alamo to open, uh, they came to me and it was like, yeah, you know. So, so I got really lucky with getting hired for the Alamo for, for their New York launch. Cool. And Dan, what about you?
2: So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, my uh, my path is is um, uh, similarly indirect. Uh, I had uh, gone to—I had grown up here in New York City and then had gone to Vassar for college. And um, at Vassar, I met Mark, Elijah Rosenberg, um, and we were good friends. And um, I, I was involved in film to some degree, um, you know, from— but I, I really wasn't—I uh, wasn't a film major. I mostly did— um, uh, I was an English major and um, did a lot of comedy in college, actually. Um, and then when I got out, I was actually doing mostly music and recording, I was working in a recording studio and working on a, a bunch of different projects doing that. And um, But the very first year when we got out of Vassar, uh, Mark wanted to put on a screening and um, didn't want to have to rent a theater. And so he just, uh, he had a rooftop on uh, his East Village tenement apartment and um, just invited a bunch of people over and had a few hundred people that came through that night. Uh, it was a really successful night. And he was mostly showing films, some of his own shorts, shorts by friends that uh, some of his friends had made. And uh, everything was on 16 millimeter. A couple of people brought their own films um, and showed that. And uh, it was a really fun night. And uh, just everyone had a really great time. And uh, you know, as Christina mentioned, the um, the independent film scene in New York has changed a lot over the last 20 years so this was this was 1997 and um, there certainly there were repertory theaters and there were you know a, a couple of theaters showing independent films around the city but you didn't have nearly the same number of film festivals and and, and different film organizations or um, theaters showing new independent films um, so you know you could see stuff at, you could get stuff at the video store and there was the Angelica and What's that? <laughs> yeah. Just kidding Exactly um, you know but, uh, but pretty much like you know a, a lot of the stuff that we now consider like being the low budget independent films just weren't being seen and more increasingly more were being made Um, and so we started um, doing screenings actually the next year on in 98 on my roof in Bushwick a couple of friends of mine um, uh, moved to Bushwick well 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 before um, the mass gentrification began and we just had this giant 20 thousand square foot roof that we could do whatever we wanted with and we built a screen up there and just started showing movies um, that that summer 98 and then slowly went from showing one move a year to four movies a year to eight movies a year um, and uh, eventually had to move out of that place after a long battle with our landlords um, and not over rooftop over just them trying to get as much money out of us as they possibly could and uh, but um, at that point we realized that um, you know Mark and I were both putting in a bunch of work there were several other um, people who were putting a lot of work as well it was an all-volunteer organization at the time which was manageable a couple a couple years prior to that that, but then became completely unmanageable um, for us to do that and be doing a bunch of other things at the same time. So we still continued some of our other projects, but largely our full-time jobs became working for rooftop and increasingly it took over more and more of our lives. Um, and uh, we incorporated and, and um, started doing screenings at multiple rooftops around the city and ver- some other lo- outdoor locations that weren't rooftops and um, became a nonprofit organization and just built it up from there. And uh, it's now a um, substantially bigger organization than we ever imagined it might be.
0: Cool. So as Christina mentioned, people don't even necessarily know this is a thing. I think filmmakers know that there's like an actual person or group of people in between their film and a screen. But but a lot of people don't. So what do you actually do? What's your like day to day?
1: Um, For me, you know, uh, since there's a variety of things that I would program, including older films as well as uh, newer films, and so, you know, a lot of times it's research, it's thinking about what hasn't maybe shown and what might be out there, thinking about anniversary screenings, thinking about maybe actors or directors who haven't been celebrated, and then also thinking about what, what is coming out and, uh, you know, maybe isn't getting represented uh, in in New York Um and, you know, filmmakers that might be local that we want to work with, things like that. Uh, you know, I'm I'm huge into 35mm, which also Alamo is a huge supporter of, and Alamo has an archive, American Genre Film Archive, that uh, has a lot of these kinds of films. So also looking there and thinking about, you know, I, I, For me, I like to be surprised when I watch movies. And so that's sort of what I'm always looking for is, is the ability to share things that will surprise people. Uh, so day to day, you know, it's, it, it, there's also the nitty gritty of booking the films, tracking down who has the rights to the films, where there might be a film print if you can't find it. Uh, things like that are, are like take a lot more energy and time then people realize, because a lot of people are like, oh, but that's on DVD, you just get it. And it's like, no, but somebody owns the rights. We don't know who it is. We're trying to find that. We want to know if what's the best format to show it in the theater. We also want to make it the most exciting kind of event, so who can we invite to make it more exciting? Uh, that's kind of part of it, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, with Rooftop, our, uh, you know, our, our primary focus is the Rooftop Film Summer Series, and uh, the Summer Series, uh, pretty much without exception, consists of new uh, new independent films or foreign films that haven't yet gotten theatrical distribution. Mm-hmm. So, um, whereas Christina's doing um, a, a lot of uh, a, a, a somewhat older films, um, Rooftop is pretty much only doing new independent stuff. So, um, you know, in many ways, the way that we operate is like um, like a lot of film festivals in that we're drawing from... Submission pool. We'll get uh, about 3,000 submissions sent to us each year, um, which uh, we have a team of screening committee people and programmers who go through those and and look for the gems in the rough. Um, And uh, we also travel to film festivals, request a lot of films that we hear about from other film festivals around the world, um, request them in, check them out, and uh, and then program our summer series slate. And um, it's a tremendous amount of film watching (laughs) more than anything else. Uh, From the programming side, I mean, I've got a number of different functions in my job. I also have to handle sponsorships and and hiring all the employees and various other things, but um, figuring out ways, like, where the screen will go on a roof and those sorts of things. But from a programming perspective, yeah, my job is mostly um, working with um, my fellow um, full-time programmers to um, manage that screening committee staff and um, have them go through everything and pick out the things that uh, we really think are special and exciting, and then figuring out if it's actually possible for us to show them on the proper schedule and whether we're going to have to fight over a New York premiere status or various other things like that, um, and then lock them into a date and a venue that makes sense.
0: A lot of logistics.
2: There's a lot of logistics. Yes, for both of us, I think. Yeah, most people think of whenever anyone says, "Oh, you've got such a great job," they imagine that I just spend most of my time watching movies and picking films. And certainly, that's that's part of my job. Um, but uh, yeah, that's probably about one quarter of my job. You know, three quarters there's logistics and figuring out how to make everything work.
0: Yeah, and, and each of you aren't just showing films anywhere. You're showing films in New York and in mostly in Brooklyn. I mean, you're now, Christina, going to all be in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. right? And Dan, you're. I mean, Rooftop seems like these days is primarily in Brooklyn. Am I right? Yeah,
2: it varies from year to year, just depending on venue availability. Mm-hmm. We're about probably about we're a little more than half in Brooklyn this year, but there are some years where it's it's um, it's more evenly spread out. But we're we'll do screenings in all five boroughs this year.
0: Well, as our listeners know, we're based in Brooklyn, and, um, which is, of course, part of New York City. And so it's, it's not just like programming films anywhere. Like this, you know, people all around the world are looking here for what's next as kind of, you know, an arbiter of cool. So what's, what do you think is different about um, programming here? Or like what, what are some things about New York that you keep in mind when you are looking for films?
1: I think that New York has a very adventurous audience. Uh, it's funny because I do pay a lot of attention to what plays in other cities, mm-hmm. and uh, also to what ends up being successful. And I, you know, I have that ability even with there being Alamos in other cities. Uh, but you know, New York is a place where you can go to a uh, Chantal Ackerman like musical from the '80s, mm-hmm. and it, at at Walt, the Walter Reed, and it's sold out. You know, like there's that curiosity to see something like that, like an obscurity like that. So that's kind of what I like the most about it is that people are willing to take chances.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, um, you know, when I look around uh, or talk to my friends who program at other regional festivals around the country, um, you know, they have jobs very similar to mine in a lot of ways. Um, But almost without fail, you know, when we talk about programming, there will be some film that we, you know, we've both seen and we both really love. And they'll say, oh, I'd love to show that. Our audience will never go for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I pretty much never have that problem. Um, you know, luckily, we've. Um, as with the Draft House, you know we've we 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 have a reputation, um, especially within New York City and Brooklyn. So um, as a result of that, uh, I can get away with showing a complete obscurity, even something that no one has heard of whatsoever, by a filmmaker no one's ever heard of, and um, and we can at least get a you know a decent crowd out for a screening. Um, partly because we create fun events, but partly because people just trust that if we're showing something, that there's something exciting about it. Um, and uh, in a lot of parts of the country, um, a lot of parts of the world, that's not the core independent film. Audience audience is you know they're maybe more adventurous than a mainstream crowd but they're not really looking for something that's going to completely surprise them or take them off guard and um, you know as, as Christina mentioned as a programmer we're looking for surprises and like um, that this job would be so boring if my job was really to just find things that people are okay with or that people are comfortable with. Um, frankly, I wouldn't really be that interested in it um, if, if that was the case, if I was just trying to find things that I know people will like. Um, the the fun part is really finding something that the first time I see it, I don't even know what to make of it. Um, and, and then realizing that I think there's something of real value there and then being able to share it with an audience that's open-minded enough to take a look at that. That's what's really exciting, what's fun.
1: Uh,
0: I love that idea that you know, you guys want to be excited by your jobs, too. It's not just that you want Mm -hmm. audiences to be excited. So not to put you too much on the spot, but what are some films you've programmed lately that really gave you those tingles?
2: Oh, man, I've got so many. But, um, I mean, you know, a couple of films that we had last year, uh, like Tangerine was a film where the second I saw it, you know, probably about... 10 minutes in, I didn't know what I was watching. Um, Even having seen Sean Baker's previous stuff, I really wasn't prepared for it. And about a half hour in, I wasn't sure if I liked it. And about 40 minutes in, I realized it was, like, one of my favorite movies in years. Uh, Just a movie that, um, you know, combines so much energy and... Um, just didn't look or feel like any movie I'd seen before and was like, in the end, actually really heartwarming, but at the same time, you know, presenting things that, you know, certainly made me at least a bit uncomfortable um, and that, you know, it could combine that heartwarming entertainment value with, um, you know, this really vivid cultural study um, and all those things happening all at once. Uh, That sort of overwhelming feeling was what really excited me and was, you know, one of the Reminded me of the type of films that first got me excited about, um, like, truly independent cinema and when Rooftop Films was getting going because it just seemed like it was coming out of left field.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about Tangerine on this show before, too, because, you know, from our our listeners' perspectives, it's an exciting film because it was shot entirely on iPhones. Mm-hmm. So what about you, Christina?
1: Um, for me, I guess, you know, even maybe more than film-specific, sort of event-specific, uh, we do a few movie marathons throughout the year. And uh, every year we've been doing a horror movie marathon called Dismember the Alamo. Uh, <laughs> so over the past few years, I've, I've programmed that in Yonkers, and we do it as a surprise, like, unannounced title thing. Uh, so, you know, I, I, the audience has sort of been at the mercy of my my decisions and i thought very long and hard about the movies i wanted to show so we would do four movies uh and in last year um you know i was really thinking about because i'm like okay i don't want to show the movies that everybody's seen before i don't want it to be friday the 13th and you know all that stuff like it's this is this is to kind of get people into maybe something they wouldn't have watched Mm -hmm. but also strike a balance so that there are some like sort of crowd favorites And then some, like, discoveries. So this past year, uh, there was a movie that I actually, like, loved as a child called Lady in White that I hadn't watched in a long time. And so I was kind of rethinking about it. I was like, oh, this movie takes place on Halloween, and it was filmed in Rochester. You know, so not, I mean, it's still way further upstate. But I was kind of like, this will be sort of a fun thing. Like, it's definitely, it's it's a creepy movie, but it's not like a slasher or, you know, a bloody kind of disgusting horror movie. Uh, And... Uh, I was really excited to include that and it, it was like a, a huge risky thing where it was definitely divisive where some people were like uh uh-uh, uh like why are you showing this like sort of like kind of schmaltzy you know like like Spielbergian kind of movie but other people were like no this is great like it has these, like in, in, just incredible sort of moments that are like that have always stayed with me and that were still like super effective so that was a really great thing to experience with an audience and I think that's also part of it is getting to watch these things with the audience like after you've been thinking about it for for months and months. It's like, then you get to be there and, and see how people react to it.
0: Wow. I didn't even think about that. I assume sort of once you program the films, you aren't necessarily there. I mean, at Rooftop, you have these whole experiences with bands and stuff. So it makes sense that you'd attend the screenings.
1: But if you're programming theatrically... I mean it's weird because I think sometimes there is this thing where you're like sick of the movie by the time you're about to show it but then like once you get there cuz you've sort of moved on to the next thing you're already planning the next thing but then once you're in the environment it's like oh yeah this is why I like spent all this time working is because I I knew that there would be excitement and audience and yeah I think that there are some programmers that maybe just program and then just like don't go there but for me that's been part of it and like you said like being actually excited about the movies themselves means like you want to be in in that theater or in that space watching the movie
0: so have either of you had experiences where you programmed something and then were really surprised by the audience response
2: I think very often the thing that surprises me most is when I've very often I think we program a movie and I think that you know half the audience is going to hate it you know and I'm fine with it you know it's a movie that I love and I see the value in but I, I think is Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's just really confrontational film, maybe it's really difficult subject matter, maybe the storytelling style or the non-narrative style of the film is, you know, maybe a little bit alienating or difficult to get your head around. Um, And, uh, but, you know, and of course, there are some times where I I think that a movie is going to be divisive, and it is. Um, But I'm uh, very frequently surprised at how much people embrace films that I, um, you know, that might have been rejected by most film festivals, partly because they're trans, like they're apparently very difficult. Um, and, uh, you know, our audiences, and I think a lot of audiences in, you know, especially younger Brooklyn audiences are, um, you know, very quickly embrace them. And there was this one film that we showed, um, f- filmmaker Joanna Arnau, um, made this film, I hate myself, smiley face. And, um, <laughs> I didn't know anything about Joanna. Um, uh, and it had actually, uh, it had come in just, it was, you know, regular submission and, um, I'd watched it and it's this extremely uh, autobiographical documentary that is, um, includes, you know, like graphic sex scenes and um, is about uh, her very real relationship with this um kind of racist belligerent but somewhat charismatic um, horrible boyfriend um I'm editorializing a little bit here I hope he's not listening but um uh and you know and sort of working through her self-loathing via this extremely um revealing uh, portrait of their relationship wow. and watching it I you know I was I, I, I found it really amusing and entertaining and it was really taught and tightly edited, and I thought it was extremely entertaining, but there were so many moments that made me extremely uncomfortable, I just assumed the audience would give me, would that some percentage of the audience would say oh this is self exploitation or w- whatever they might have some complaint um, which I think you often see when a movie makes people really uncomfortable um, they don't know necessarily what to do with it and so the reaction is I don't like it um, mm-hmm. and uh, that's kind of what I anticipated a good portion of the audience to you know how them to react and that's not how they reacted at all you know I mean no one left everyone stayed everyone had a great time everyone stayed for the after party the Q&A was really fun people really loved it and um, her next film we had given a grant to and it got into Berlin after not getting into many other film festivals and it won the Silver Bear at Berlin so like it was very nice to see that that, then her film had been rejected from like I Hate My Smile, Smiley Face we did the world premiere because it had been rejected from every film festival Mm -hmm. Um, and and, you know there was a part of me that thought it was risky to program even for our audience but um, I think for me that was a big lesson of just trusting your instincts when you really think something special um, you know not to worry too much about like an audience rejecting it, because they're probably going to be more open than you think.
0: That's got to be pretty encouraging for filmmakers as well to hear stories like that. Do you have uh, thoughts?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, something that is kind of interesting that the movie that I've shown Two different times over the course of my career, and a very different reaction both times. This movie called *The Telephone Book* that was kind of lost to obscurity, is like a 1970 movie. Um, and so, at 92Y Tribeca, we had done a screening with with the uh, producer Merv Block, who's been known to he he did a lot of ad campaign campaigns, like was responsible for some of like the most sort of iconic posters for like 2001 and and things mm-hmm. like that. But this movie is very weird, like. You know, it was, like, this New York underground movie, like, definitely kind of aiming to be sort of, like, this, like, Warhol factory type thing. And 92 Y. Tribeca, like, there was a weird reaction. Like, there were some people that were super into it, and some people just, like, like, were not into it at all. They just, like, thought it was kind of bad then we showed it in, in Yonkers. Uh, there was a restoration by Vinegar Syndrome. And again, Merv Block, the, the producer, came up. And that audience was, like, way more receptive, which kind of surprised me because the Yonkers audience isn't really as adventurous as in the city. So I didn't really know what to expect. But that audience was, like, really, like, excited by that, like, into that movie. Uh, and I was just like, oh, okay. I didn't expect that to happen, <laughs> you know. So that, that, was a, that was a fun one. Cool
0: that you both have positive surprises. I'm sure you have had negative surprises. We don't have to get into that. Yeah, we try to forget those. We (laughs) just move on from those. Um, So you've each touched on this, but how does a filmmaker get their work in front of you for consideration? I know you... Rooftop has a formal submission process. How does that work, and then are there other ways?
2: Yeah, I mean, in terms of our submissions, we operate, like, a lot of film festivals, so you can, um, we open our submissions in the fall, and you can just start sending us your movies then. Anything, um, you know, made in the last um, year, year and a half um, is eligible to be sent in. Uh, We do program a lot of short films. uh, A greater percentage of our program is short films than I think most festivals. Um, So uh, we definitely strongly encourage, you know, um, short filmmakers to, to send their work in. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean it's, it's a relatively straightforward process in that regard, and, um, you know, I think we're uh, better about um, submission fees than most festivals mm. and things like that. So everyone who submits gets two free tickets to a rooftop show, and that That's is nice. a greater value than the cost of the submission fee. So mm. unless you have no intention of ever coming to a rooftop film show, you should totally submit.
0: <laughs> and what about, like, the back channel, you know? anyone can submit but are there other ways you said you go to festivals
2: yeah of course i mean you know i I always tell filmmakers um you know, whenever whenever they're applying to any film festival, um, they should do everything they can to get in touch with um, the programmers there, um, and without being annoying. Without being annoying. I mean, I mean, getting in touch is different from harassing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, putting in a request is not the same thing as putting in ten requests. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, th- I certainly you know encourage people to to do that. Um, you know, and people can just email me um, or email the other programmers at Rooftop, and you know, we're, we we check our emails and we're, we're responsive. Um, so um, I definitely encourage people, you know, especially if they've got something um, that they think is a particularly good fit with rooftop um, to reach out directly. Um, I would say as a, a somewhat of a caveat to that is when you're submitting to anyone or sending your work to anyone, I think people should all, all filmmakers should take a look at what sort of films are programmed there um, on a regular basis. Um, so for instance, like Christina does a lot of repertory films and there's right. older films. And if someone had a recommendation for some crazy old horror film that really should be, um, you know, get a revival, Christina would be a great person to reach out to. Mm-hmm. Like rooftop films doesn't show repertory films. So if you've got a film that you made 18 years ago that you want to revive, like I'm probably not the person to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's an extreme example. But, you know, similarly, like we don't show a lot of gangster films. We don't show a lot of, you know, um, um, like. Uh, sort of mainstream com- uh, rom-com type films. You know, we don't program a lot of that stuff. So, you know, reach out to those festivals that um, are particularly good fit for, or those organizations that are particularly good fit for the type of film that you're working on.
1: Right. Yeah, that's definitely good advice. Uh, you know, obviously, like just being a movie theater, we don't have such a formal process, and frankly, like it's not easy because it would just be coming to me. So, if I had a ton of people sending me their films it would take a while for me to be able to sit down and watch all of them you know Um you know alamo now uh... through tim league our ceo has gotten into distribution so i think that now they're kind of those sort of channels that i think probably more people are pursuing that because I don't end up getting a ton of people coming to me. I imagine that's going to change when our Brooklyn Theater opens. I have already had some people coming to me uh, and that's great especially when it's a local filmmaker like like that makes it kind of more like okay well this person's local we want to be supportive of that always. Uh, so you know it's just a matter of taking the time to, to watch things that people send my way. And, you know, I think people just need to understand there just needs to be patience because it's it's kind of just one person <laughs> screening this stuff. We don't have a screening committee or anything like that. So if, like, tomorrow, you know, if somebody listens to this podcast and was like, oh, great, I'm going to submit to Alamo Drafthouse, I would be like, if 10 people sent me films, it would be like, I you know... Um, <laughs> But we are kind of also working in tandem, like our team kind of across the country, like my colleagues in Austin and San Francisco and even in L.A., that we are doing a little bit more divide and conquer of watching stuff that gets sent our way. Uh, But, yeah, Dan's exactly right that if it's something that, you know, I mean, Alamo goes to a lot of different corners. uh, So there's there's not a lot that I can imagine saying that we like wouldn't consider. But. I think people probably kind of get the general idea of like what might not be the ideal fit for us, you know, being like a sort of normal movie theater where we also have this this repertory and specialty programming.
0: But it's good to know that unlike kind of a mainstream chain, you're not beholden to certain distributors like there actually is some entry point for an indie maker
1: to get uh, totally. Night. And the good thing, you know, really, this this theater was designed with that in mind, where we have a theater that's 40 seats and mm-hmm. a theater that's 75 seats, uh, specifically thinking of have giving a space where a smaller movie can Feel successful, you know that you can do a run of a movie. It give it, you know, give it a week of shows in a 40 seater and have everybody feel good about it because, you're, yeah, you're not you're not going up against you know whatever studio movie there might be that week. Like there's that space and that is you know that is definitely an initiative of ours going into Brooklyn that that we want you know I mean we're we're going to be showing Star Wars but we're like also excited to like have right alongside that like uh, some other smaller indie movies uh, whether it's something from A24 or even just like a local filmmaker who just like is looking for a run mm-hmm. of, of their film.
2: I remember actually, I, I, I um, produced and did a lot of different work on a, a documentary um, back in two thousand uh, six um, called "Kiss My Snake," which was about these Thai snake boxers in Thailand. And um, and uh, Lars from who was then at the Draft House had seen this documentary. I don't even know how he saw it, but he saw it and um, and uh, and and wanted to give it a run at at, at Draft House. And I was like, okay, that like great awesome so and this was the the Austin Draft House and um and so you know we had a run at the Alamo Ritz down there and um, I was went down there early to promote the screenings and I was handing out postcards and I was shocked because I'd go to like a barbecue festival to hand out like postcards and people were like oh yeah I saw the trailer for this like before like Transformers the other day and like just that idea that this trail like the trailer for our weird documentary about Thai snake boxers was playing before m- like mainstream blockbusters at not even like the Alamo Draft house in like not even at the Ritz it was like at some like satellite like trapped house somewhere, I just couldn't believe that they were actually playing that stuff all over the place. So um, I think that combination is really great and really yeah. fun.
1: That's a great story. I never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. And that's perfect. Like that, luckily Alamo does give its programmers like that leeway where if we feel passionately about something, like, yeah, show it and make it work. Like, sh- and, and people do respond to that kind of enthusiasm too. So...
0: I think it's so cool, too. It's sort of unfair to audiences to assume that just because they're seeing Transformers, they wouldn't be interested in indies. Maybe they just were never exposed. And then lucky to those few who came to the Transformers at the Alamo and saw your weird snake tie fighting movie yeah. and probably you know.
2: I mean it actually made sense to me in the end. I was like yeah well it's true these guys don't necessarily watch a lot of documentaries and probably wouldn't like most of the documentaries that I like but this documentary was about guys who fight with snakes <laughs> and like, and so like there's lots of people getting bitten by snakes in live action like that <laughs> was n- that it was appealing at least to this one tra- uh, Transformers fan so.
1: Yeah and I can tell you that we also do control what trailers were showing before what mm-hmm. so like there is that thought process when we even when it's a studio film, it's like oh, but we're still going to play these other trailers, and and be mindful of like yeah, the, the, these this audience might actually be into that. We will never assume that that they're that they're just like tried and true like giant studio fare, and
0: that's also different from a mainstream cinema too. Like the, they wouldn't necessarily have control over which trailers played.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I mean in reality, like you know, I mean there are those of us who you know live within the independent film world, um, and I think sometimes there's this assumption that. You know, and then there's everybody else who lives in this mainstream world. But the reality is, I don't, I don't think very many people define themselves that way. And I mean, seeing like the success of documentaries, for instance, over the last, you know, ten or fifteen years, um, you know, part a good part of the reason that that has happened is because documentaries became you know more entertaining and the storytelling became like you know more energetic and it wasn't that these people just like like movies that had a lot of money spent on them you know they, they might appreciate that but most audiences just want to see something that's entertaining you know and whatever you know whatever their idea of entertainment is and it doesn't really matter what the budget points are um, you know if you're delivering that and, um, and I don't think there's very like I've never met anyone who's just like I just don't like independent films yeah. like you know like People don't really think in those terms anymore because people realize, you know, whatever, they like Reservoir Dogs, you know, that's an independent film. And um, I think most of the world understands that if you give them access to those things. Yeah, Yeah. they just
1: need to know about it.
2: You
0: know, whatever you think about online distribution, there may be some controversy, but it's sort of as flattened the playing field. Like someone could be watching something super mainstream in their Netflix queue and it serves up something indie, and they don't know the difference. Yeah. yeah, I
1: mean, I see that even with what how my parents watch movies, because, like, you know, they would were not, like, the kind of people to seek out independent stuff, but because of the available options online, they'll be like, I watched this movie, and I'm like, how did you end up watching right. that? It's you know? Pretty amazing.
2: Yeah. Right, because it also seems impossible to, uh, like, those of us who, like, grew up in, like, a pre-internet age that our parents would actually be discovering things that are genuinely interesting to us. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's absolutely true.
0: Totally. So, So wrapping up with some advice, Um, advice for people who might want to start screening series or do some interesting screenings in their own area, Um, particularly if they're not in Brooklyn or don't have access to this kind of stuff all the time, and advice to filmmakers who want to get their work out there, either or both.
2: I mean, I I think one important thing um, that people can take away both from uh, Christina's biography and my own uh, is programming takes some time to establish yourself uh, in a lot of ways and to also take some time to figure out like what your strengths are and if you have programming strengths i don't mean that like that i mean part you know some of it is just in loving and enjoying watching tons of movies some people think they like watching tons of movies and they don't really know what lots of movies really is yet um i think that's something that i run into whenever you know someone's like oh you know i volunteer to help be on your screening committee and help out with films and um, and they and once they actually start sitting down and watching you know 30 movies in a week they realize that it's it's that it's work um, that some people are better cut out for than others mm-hmm. um, and I, I so I think first determining if if you really have that like m- like the temperament of a programmer is an important thing um, and you know that's not hard to figure out just watch 50 movies in a week and see if you want to p- tear your eyeballs out or if you <laughs> want to watch another 50 the next week and that's that's a pretty good test um, And, you know, giving it some time, you know, it's not, it's not a job that anyone gets thrust into and suddenly starts making millions of dollars at, like, or even thousands or even hundreds of dollars at. you know, it's it's a job to take some time to to really establish yourself, um, and you know, and um, and to really learn the ropes and the ins and outs of, of of what what the programming niches are that you can fill that other people aren't filling. Um, so uh, you know, I think some patience is really important there, and um, also like see what your community really needs, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's another big thing. Um, you know, there's there's certain communities where there really is no opportunity to see independent film or or a independent film of a certain type, and there's certain communities where there's an overabundance of of ways to see that. Um, and there's certain communities that I think, um, you know, haven't uh, created a, an environment that makes that in that fun um, for people and, and engaging. And uh, take a look at your 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 area wherever you are, and and determine what it is that's really needed.
0: Mm. And for filmmakers, any thoughts?
2: I think establishing a network um, of people is really important. I mean, you know, you hate to like put things in, in such uncreative terms, but I think it is it is you know very important to do that. Also, finding your champions and appreciating those connections is really important. I think. Um, one thing uh, I think a lot of people think like the way that you establish yourself is you just get into Sundance with your first film and then you're fine or like you know your first movie gets bought before it's even played at a festival and everything's fine and and there's a, a rare exceptions that are highly publicized so people who like overnight become really well established right. um, but then there's a lot of other people who take a longer slower path um, and that's the majority of filmmakers successful or otherwise you know that's how they have to um, have to work it. And, you know, um, I've been at Rooftop Films for a really long time, but 15, 18 years ago when I was doing it, it was a very small organization and it would have been easy to dismiss as not something that really mattered that much. Um, but, you know, some of those early filmmakers that we showed are people like Jeremy Solnier, who we showed in year two of Rooftop Films. Um, you know, and, um, and, you know, someone like uh, Christina's like had multiple different jobs at different places and you never know where people are going to end up. Um, and, um, and for that reason, like cre- those people who really appreciate what you're doing, who understand it, who get it, and who think it really is worthy of being seen, um, you know, hold those people close to a certain degree. Stay in touch with them, mm-hmm. um, and uh, because you never know where they're going to end up, or um, you know, where they might be able to take you.
1: Great advice, Christina. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Dan says. I think there is this thing where people, when, especially when they find out about what are, you know, you tell them. What what our jobs are like. I like movies. I can do that. Um, you know, we were pretty lucky because I think that back when we started out, like programming was not a thing that a lot of people were looking to do. And these days. It is more competitive. A lot of people do want to be a programmer, curators. Um, Curators, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I do think there's the patience thing. I do think also that that volunteering is huge. Like I think a lot of people, you know, there's still a kind of stigma with interning and all of that. But like the thing is, the best way to learn this stuff, you know, it's kind of a free education. So just sort of like, you know, me hooking up with Ocularis was like the best education I could have gotten because I just learned about all these different. You know, corners of of programming and and ideas and and also kind of collaborating with a team to talk about putting a program together and a calendar together. So I think even just getting that little bit of volunteering and so you can kind of see the process of how people think about uh, you know putting a, programming a calendar uh, is great. And I'd say you know I mean you know in New York it's probably a lot more difficult. Like you can look at a place like Spectacle that really kind of like took the reins on on making this very DIY program in in this small space uh, and just kind of like very passionately put together a program of movies that they wanted to share. So I think that even if you have to start out in a bar or just some place where you just wanna kinda of show like, okay, don't don't go to those places and show a movie that like maybe people can go and watch on thirty five millimeter in like a a real theater. But start with something, you know, that that you wanna share and, you know, write write a good description of it. Like put your like guts and your soul mm-hmm. into how you describe why you think that movie's amazing and that's gonna get people excited to watch it and then they'll start to trust you and and then, you know, and then you I think eventually you just make a name for yourself so that when there are programming jobs available, you can get those or you just keep doing your own thing. And then maybe, you know, if you're enterprising enough, you you get money to fund a place, you know?
2: Yeah. I think that's something that also like ties what Christine has done, what Draft House does, what Rooftop does together is we also also do whatever we can to figure out ways to make stuff fun, even if. People might not immediately think it was fun, and fun. I, I by fun I don't mean just like an easy good time, but I also do mean an easy good time. Mm-hmm. I mean, like one of the appeals of like of, of of Alamo is that you can get a burger and a beer right there, and it comes to you, and that's great. Like or an alcoholic
0: it, milkshake, <laughs> or, my personal or, yeah, favorite. Exactly. Yeah.
2: and and that's like no small part of the appeal, mm-hmm. like making it easy for people to have like. Dinner and a movie, um, is, and making it you know like affordable and accessible to people um, that goes a long way. And having you know a pretty view behind the screen goes a long way. You know, make it as easy as possible. If if there's stuff that you really care about don't sit around bemoaning the fact that the world doesn't come see it. There are people out there who have figured out ways to get people to see it. You know, maybe not millions of people, but um, sometimes millions of people and often hundreds or thousands of people. And, and that over the course of time can make a real difference. But um, it's if you're a programmer, it's your responsibility to create that environment that makes people want to be there.
0: I think filmmakers can relate to this too. You know, even if, if a filmmaker wants their own film scene, and doesn't want to go through normal distribution channels, or doesn't know how to get it out there in sort of a typical way. Um, we can do our own screenings and think, you know, and take everything you've said into consideration. Like, how do you make this a an experience, a positive experience, even if it's a challenging film? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any last minute plugs for upcoming? Mm-hmm. I mean, when's the when's the theater even opening?
1: The Draft House. Um. It. It's not really something I can share because it sort of changes. Ah, dun, dun, dun. It's, it's, I mean, it, you know, it will be this year. not telling me either, so it's not just <laughs> wow. you uh, We're at the mercy of construction and all of that. So, so yes, the thing I have to plug is that there will be a movie theater. <laughs> it will be in downtown Brooklyn uh, and that people should just follow us on uh, Twitter and Facebook because that's where the news is going to be. So that's at Alamo NYC. Also go to the website and sign up for the newsletter because that also, like once we know that when stuff is happening, our newsletter, they'll be the first people to know because we'll do some soft opening events and things like that. So people should definitely sign up so that they will find out the news. And the news will happen like probably pretty quickly where it's like,
0: okay, it's happening now. Get your tickets. <laughs> we are so excited. And Rooftop's already in the swing of its big season. So. We are.
2: Yeah. So we're, um, we're in, we're about a month in now. I guess this is week five, which is crazy. So we're in week five right now. So we've got, um, you know, three or four or five screenings every week now through August 20th, um, all across New York City. Soon after this airs, there will be, um, uh, or whatever you call an, uh a, a podcast going out into the world. Um, We've got a really uh, fantastic film called In the Treetops, which is uh, a a fiction film that we really loved um, that hasn't gotten nearly as much festival play as as it deserves, and that'll be playing at the Old American Can Factory um, uh, on Thursday. And then uh, we've got so many other great events. People should check out rooftopfilms.com and find out all about it.
0: Yeah, we've um, we've plugged you guys on Indie Film Weekly before, and I will say it again, that rooftop is just the most, I think, the best uh, screening experience of the year in New York. So if you're based here or if you are visiting here, um, definitely check out their schedule. And thank you guys so much. This was really fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can learn more about this episode and read lots more filmmaking news at NoFilmSchool.com. And hear several other fascinating conversations on the art of filmmaking by finding the No Film School podcast in iTunes. Don't miss our show, Indie Film Weekly, which comes out every Thursday morning and catches you up on everything you might have missed when you were busy making films. You can reach me on Twitter at LizFilm, and we are on Twitter at No Film School. See you soon.